Making now this transition back into stillness. Continuing with awareness, practice. Letting the attention settle more back into the body. If the energy has gone out a little bit during the period of movement, Connecting with the sense of sitting. Noticing how the body is now. Is there a sense of the weight of the body? Some heaviness or areas of heaviness? or a sense of lightness, or areas of lightness. Noticing what the sense of temperature is in the body. the general sense of warmth, or maybe areas of warmth. Or a sense of coolness, areas of coolness, the touch of the air on the skin. (coughs) Maybe also noticing the matrix of movement within the body. that even as we sit still, there are the movements of the breath, we may notice the movement of the heart or the blood, we may notice other more subtle movements in the body, areas of vibration, tingling, or places where there's an absence of movement, some stiffness or tension. And taking in the sounds that reach us from outside the hall, maybe other sounds inside the hall, 
maybe some sounds even from within the body itself. Perhaps noticing the two dimensions of sound, the dimension of volume, those variations in loudness, softness, and the dimension of pitch, sounds get higher, they get lower, and they change. Remembering always to continue to check in with the attitude of the mind. What's the relationship of the mind to internal experiences, to external experiences? Can we cultivate an attitude of openness and receptivity that is willing to allow nature to just follow its own course, causes and conditions within us, running their course, creating certain experiences, causes and conditions outside of us, running their course, creating certain experiences. Can we meet each moment with the confidence that it doesn't need to be otherwise? That our only task here is just to continue to remind ourselves to be aware of what is already happening. whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither, regardless of how we might feel about it, can we be the receptive observer, the chronicler of experience? Noticing if thoughts or intentions arise to try to shape our experience in some way, to try to influence or manipulate it. That in itself is another experience, just to be known. If we're wondering if the right thing is happening in this moment, we can know that wondering. If we're feeling a desire for something different to be happening in this moment, we can feel that desire. If we feel like there's something that we need to be doing in this moment, other than just simply receiving it, we can notice that feeling 
bringing more and more subtle ways that the mind will want to manipulate experience just into the practice itself without feeling like there's a need to act, to figure out, to take charge in any way at all, really, other than just to remind ourselves again to be aware of what's already happening. (coughs) In those moments where there's not the awareness, not the willingness to be aware, then to be really honest with ourselves about what's happening in those moments. When we feel that pull into thinking to see where we're placing our faith, where we're placing our desire, and then to delight in the moment when we come to again. This is really the magical moment of practice, when for some mysterious reason we wake back up and we see where we've landed, and really allowing ourselves to take that in if we come out of thinking and feel like we need to rush back, push the awareness to some other experience, again, we can just simply notice that feeling and continue to be aware of nature following its own course, according to its own natural laws, its own organic rhythm.
Wasn't it nice to have the machinery to provide accompaniment for our meditation period this morning? (laughs) I hope it was interesting for you. (laughs) Are there any questions today? Yeah. Sangha in a way that was more expansive and a little bit, um, it was just confusing to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if, if Mark or you know, all of you could describe um, what is meant, if there's something a little bit more than just our sense of the community, a sitting community, what's meant by Sangha? Yeah, so the question is about Sangha and the meaning of Sangha, um, which we can interpret in many different ways. So it's true that for, you know, specifically that we're, ta- we're here, for the time that we're here, it's like this group of people is our support, is our community. You know, it's, it's each other in a very kind of specific, concrete way that we're um, drawing inspiration from, drawing support from fellow yogis, the staff, the teachers. So there's that sense of sangha. And then to back at home, you know, if, if we're blessed to have a community that we participate in, that, you know, that particular group of people, we may have close Dharma friends or just people that kind of show up week after week and it's nice to see them in our groups at home. Um, these days, many of us have a virtual sangha, you know, people that we connect with online that we share ideas with or we just read their posts or their blog or, you know, so that's another place that we can draw support. But when we think about sangha in the larger sense, there, there is this idea that it's not about so much specific people or specific groups of people or specific individuals, which uh, really can, can be fragile. You know, those relationships can be uh, unreliable. People change, you know, they, in, individual people may let us down or not live up to expectations. Um, these groups that come together of, you know, meditation groups or study groups can be really supportive, but then conditions may change and they fall apart. So there's, there's this idea of taking refuge and Sangha as a refuge and just more generally the sense that people keep doing this <laughs> and people have kept doing this since the time of the Buddha. So in, in, in really a very literal way, the reason that we're all sitting here doing this today is because somebody, you know, about 2,600 years ago had this bright idea, had some kind of realization of this thing that we could do to, to reduce suffering and people listen to him and people listen to them and people listen to them, you know, down through the generations across the centuries, passing this, this teaching and this practice from person to person in this very direct way. And so we've all come to be here today. So we can take refuge and draw inspiration and draw faith from, from kind of that continuity of the process and the, the passing of the torch from person to person and that, uh, you know, that, it will, that, that it will hopefully continue to spread and continue to pass. So, so there's this larger idea of, of the Sangha um, in, in countries or communities where there is an ordained Sangha. It's very interesting, you know, a, l- a large part of the relationship of the, the laity with the Sangha um, the, the ordained sangha, is that it's a two-way street, as I think we've mentioned. So the, the laity supports the, the monastics uh, in practical terms with, with uh, very practical support. And then the, the ordained community supports the laity through offering teachings and offering, offering inspiration and preserving the teaching and the practice. But it's, um, it's part of the teaching around that relationship that it's much more wholesome to offer support to the sangha as a whole, 
to this more abstract sense of the Sangha rather than that there's a particular monk or a particular nun that we have a personal relationship with. That's said to be kind of a very small kind of dana to give because we like that person or even because we like their teaching or we get, you know, we feel like that particular person supports us. But that it's, it's much more supportive to have, a, have some kind of a, a connection with this, this larger, more abstract sense of Sangha. So that's just a little around that. But really, in whatever way we find it supportive, <laughs> You know, um, it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the back. Yeah, so um, the question is to say a little something about bowing. And there are a lot of different ways to do it, and people do it in different ways, and some people do it, some people don't do it. And <laughs> what's that about? Um, so bowing, it's, it's a traditional part of Asian culture, and as such has become a traditional part of uh, Buddhist culture. And different places that you go to practice in different lineages, there'll they'll be kind of a traditional way of bowing. Uh, in Burma, where we've been trained, uh, it's traditional to do these three bows uh, to the floor, forehead to the floor. Um, and it's the, the three comes from the triple gem. So for uh, some of us, as, as we're paying respects, we'll be reflecting. It's really a little bit of, of time to reflect. You know, when we come into the hall, it's, it's a little bit of time to uh, recommit, to just touch base with whatever our refuge is, touch base with our aspiration. So we might reflect on the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. I think that would be a traditional way to use that bowing, um, either through doing three bows or just, uh, you know, Anjali paying respects and taking a little time for, for that reflection. But we can also do that reflection without any physical demonstration. You know, we can just, we may just come and sit down on our cushion, and many of us do this. We have a little uh, kind of beginning ritual mentally that we do to, to get ourselves into the right frame of mind, touching base with whatever that aspiration is for the sitting or what it is, where, where we are right now and are thinking about what we're doing. So bowing here is, you know, it's, <laughs> it's optional. Um, it, we're, you know, people are free to do it in whatever way they find supportive or not do it. Uh, it can be something interesting to experiment with if it's not something that we've done before. Yeah. So using the breath um, in working with pain along with working with pain. Uh, yeah, my, so Mark may speak more about this <laughs> in, on an, when he has more time to do that, but just as in a, a general comment in working with pain, as we've all observed, uh, pain can be very depleting, especially uh, like chronic pain or recurring pain, intense pain that comes back over and over again. Um, it just the way that we're wired that can really drain both our physical and our mental resources. So if we have a lot of pain coming up over and over, over a long period in our practice, it can be skillful to, to titrate it. So to, 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 to find a way to, to, to find balance with the pain. 
So, um, and there's a lot of different ways we can do this. So intentionally looking away from the pain, making that decision uh, not out of aversion, but out of discernment that we need some balance with it to deliberately pay more attention to the breath or to open more to hearing, to feel the body as a whole. There's a lot of different ways that we can accomplish that, uh, that process of, of finding balance with the pain. So, and, so it's, it's not so important specifically how we do that. Again, Mark may talk more about the details of that. But just to recognize that if we find we're getting into a really tight or just exhausted place with being in pain, it is okay <laughs> to try to find some balance. Um, that can be the time when um, being here in the setting and, and the beauty of nature out here uh, is really supportive. You know, so maybe taking, you know, a, a mindful period to sit and have a cup of tea and look at the chipmunks, you know finding some way to find a little balance. Again, not out of aversion and craving, but out of, out of wisdom, out of uh, serving that greater purpose of continuing to be aware. And the question is always, what is going to be most supportive of con- continuing to allow me to be aware in the present moment? So that's a little bit around that. Yeah. I have a question about sleepiness and caffeine. Huh. Sleepiness and caffeine. <laughs> Burning, burning it all up. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a really good point. Just in, again, just in general about how we kind of deal with the body while we're here. You know, we can we can fall into thinking, well, if I just have one more cup of tea, maybe I'll wake up. <laughs> but as you're seeing, there there are different kinds of you know what we call sloth and torpor. You know, so there's there's the sloth and torpor that is organically generated that comes from not getting our usual cup of tea in the morning. And then there's just the sloth and torpor that comes from the fatigue of trying to be with all of this, you know, as much as we're we're asking our system to do here. So the general guideline and what everybody finds most helpful is just whatever our routine at home is, you know, so if it's one cup of tea or coffee in the morning, or even if we're smokers or something like that, to really continue with whatever our, our regular physical regimen is at home, just, just keep it stable here, because there's enough other variables <laughs> that we don't want to upset set that, and especially if we're on prescription medication to help with the stability of the mind or any of those kinds of things that we do outside of retreat to keep ourselves on an even keel just keep doing them however we do them and then you may find that despite that cup of coffee or tea in the morning there's just this this hindrance really of sloth and torpor that comes in that uh, it's not organically generated by the body it's coming from the quality of the mind and and we're all going to experience that whether we're caffeine consumers or not so then at those times we just do the practice and we just uh, take take the take the hit take the sleepiness
Yeah. And it's, it's precisely through that willingness to be with the, with the lethargy, to be with the, the low energy in the mind. It's, it's through the willingness to, to be with that and to continue to show up for that, that the energy will then begin to boost. This is a good thing to bring up in um, interviews. If you're feeling like you still have just a big imbalance of energy in one direction or the other, either too low or too high, um, then we can talk about ways to, to try to even that out. Yeah. Okay, I've got a couple of announcements for today. Uh, so um, Mark is going to be offering mindful movement again today. Uh, again, in the lower rocking room below here, and it'll be a slightly different time. It's at 1.30, so you have a chance to uh, boost the energy a little bit after the, the meal, dispel some of that lethargy. And also tonight, Steve is not going to be guiding the standing meditation in the evening, but feel free to come and to support each other and continue with, with that practice on your own. And also we have a gift for you today which is out on the table under the bulletin board. Oh, okay, it's, it's on a table in the dining room. <laughs> it's a couple of boxes of books, uh, some really lovely little books written by Sayada Utejaniya, um, which are a gift for you that have been offered by, by other yogis and the organization that, that publishes these. And um, the, this is not a reading assignment. <laughs> <laughs> So don't feel like you need to take the book and take it back to your room and like, you know, read read it all through uh, from cover to cover. It's it's more meant to be a support for you. So if you would like a copy of the book, take it. And if you would like to read read it in little snippets while you're here for for inspiration, for a little dis- additional ins- instruction, feel free to do that. If you really don't want to get into the reading while you're here, but you'd like to take it home and look at it there, that's also fine. So it's really to this is a traditional uh, way of uh, working in the practice in Asia is to have these little books with kind of pithy teachings in them. And at times when we feel like the energy is flagging, the inspiration is flagging, we're a little unclear about something, just to take it out and just read, you know, a few paragraphs or a few pages that are kind of directly relevant to what's going on. So we hope that those will be uh, a helpful support for your practice. Do you have a question about that? Yeah. I have a question about walking meditation. Okay, real quick. Okay, so the question is about speed of walking. I mean, yeah. Can it not be just, can I not just take a long walk? <laughs> and have that as my walking meditation? Yeah. So um, is walking at normal speed okay and is going for a long walk okay? Or, as opposed to kind of the, the very slow walking, pacing back and forth? Um, they're both fine. So again, it's just a question of what's most supportive of our practice. So there may be times when we find that the energy is really scattered, we're having uh, difficulty, may- difficulty maybe really settling into the body, settling into the present moment. So at those times, just keeping a relatively uh, constrained walking space, just 10 or 20 paces back and forth, maybe going a little slower, just helps the energy to settle more into the body so we can be more present. Other times we're just really in the flow. You know, the, f- the flow of awareness is coming very naturally, and we don't necessarily need to do that. 
where the energy may be, be kind of low. And if we, we creep and crawl along too slowly, we just start to doze off, you know, space out in our walking. So it's part of that skillful art of meditation to discern, again, what's most helpful for us in our meditation. So feel free to, to use the practice as it's most supportive. You know, hold, hold the form lightly. The form is meant to be supportive of awareness. So whatever works to support awareness best is the, the right thing to be doing. Okay. Have a good day of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.